This Choircast podcast is brought to you by the book Drugs and Jesus by Josh Lawson. It's no secret that churches are stumbling in the dark when they look for ways to effectively serve people who use drugs. As the death toll of accidental drug overdose continues to rise across our country at an alarming rate, Christians are struggling to connect their faith with this urgent and holy work. Faith-based activists are attempting to bridge the gap, but so far, their message has been confined to socially progressive circles. Drugs and Jesus is the first book of its kind to pioneer a theological framework for people of faith, and especially evangelical Christians, to help them engage in the ministry of harm reduction. Drawing from my own groundbreaking efforts to equip faith communities at the epicenter of America's rural opioid crisis, Drugs and Jesus takes readers on a journey of theological and practical transformation that will help them learn how to better serve the most vulnerable members of their community, all without having to become experts in the field of addiction or theology. Drugs and Jesus releases from Choir Publishing on April the 11th. Don't miss it. A bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering evangelical. What could go wrong? This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast with Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and Jason Elam. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. My name is Jason, and I am joined, as always, by Lola and Kyle. Welcome, guys. Hey, hey. Hi. So glad to have you all back. Yeah, Lola's just, I'm I don't fine. know. I'm I can't even good. explain. I'm doing good. Are you? Yeah. Okay. All right, good. I'm glad. <laughs> she's a little hype tonight. Maybe she's been drinking too much of that Peaceful Warrior coffee. I don't know. But this episode is brought to you by Peaceful Warrior Coffee Company. Folks, they roast your beans the very same day that they ship them to you. It doesn't get any fresher than that. Single origin beans, you can get it ground, you can get it whole bean, you can get espresso, you can get uh, all different types of flavored coffees. Check it out, peacefulwarriorcoffee.com and use discount code MESSY for 20% off your first order. Now, back to the episode. What's going on, guys? How's everybody been? Kyle, how are you? Kyle's good. For the most part, Kyle's always good. Yeah, it's been so long. You look well. Kyle is the prince of positivity. Of course he looks well. Of course he does. I know. You're never going to age. Kyle's the man. You don't don't have any stress. I don't plan on it. I don't plan on it. Well, I'm good. I just dehydrated a shit ton of henbit. I have no idea what that means. What are we talking about? Henbit, what? Henbit with an H at the beginning. Henbit. What is that? It's a um, it's a it's a weed. Technically, it's not weed, but it is a weed, and it is good for allergies. You can find it all over, all over my yard. My yard is just a big medicine cabinet, to be honest. At this point, you'll pretty much eat or smoke everything in your yard, won't you? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> She's fucking wild. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just playing. I love it. Oh wow. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for another edition of Auntie Lola's WTF Bible Story. Woo-hoo! What the fuck? Yes. Okay. So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three teenagers born into royalty in Babylon decided that they loved God so much that they would not bow before some idol thing that King Nebuchadnezzar decided to make. So 
he threw him in a furnace. That's super... That, it's a normal reaction, I think. I mean... <laughs> so, um, yeah, but they ended up surviving. Uh, new Slash. And also, there was a fourth guy in, the, in there with them. That was probably an angel. Or they were burning something and were high and saw a fourth person. So, jot that down. Um, but yeah... They, they refused to bow down to any other king or god. And when they were thrown in the fire, nothing happened. Unscathed. Totally fine. Not a burn. Not a singed hair. Nothing. So that's nice. How come God doesn't do that for all the nice people that are in hell, apparently? I think everyone went away. Yeah, but um, apparently he made this um, furnace, like, seven times hotter than normal. I want to know what kind of furnace, what kind of contraption was built for this thing. That's the thing that gets me. And also too, where did the fourth guy go? When did he show up? How did they know? Was there a screen? Was there a glass door that they could see in? I'm confused how this all transpired. It made sense in Veggie Tales with the... Rack Shack and Benny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it made sense there with like ha- how they had built a furnace. I just wonder, logistically, how did you guys do that? And how did you see in? Yeah, three teenagers that were born into royalty, talk about privilege, got saved from being thrown in a fiery furnace. Da-da-da! That sounded like the John Cena thing. Da-da-da-da. John Cena. You can't see me. <laughs> I can't, no, I can't see you guys, but I can feel you. You're here with me in spirit in Alabama. That's in right. In this yes. bedroom with this skeleton tapestry and my, my beautiful puppy dog. All right, Kyle, what's your take on that particular Bible story? What about everyone else? <laughs> why, why then? Why only? I think people? everybody else bowed. Hmm. I think. I wasn't there. I, I, I know the story doesn't allude to whether or not there were other people, but I, I mean, considering humanity, human beings, one would have to at least highly assume that there were other people who didn't bow. And I mean, one would also have to assume that other people were subject to the same fate. So, Where's their story? Where, where, where's, where's their miraculous turnaround? And not only that, but what's the whole point of the story? Because there's another, you know, there, there's, there's another verse that says something about if you, you're thrown into the fire, you shall not be burned. I'm the Lord your God. I'm, I'll be there. Well, Christians go through all kinds of all kinds of disastrous things all the time. They're, 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 they, they have the same sickness as everyone else has, the same financial issues, the same uh, physical challenges, mental challenges, emotional challenges, marital challenges, uh, societal challenges, the same exact challenges as everyone else. Where's that God now? Why isn't it jumping in? Saving, quote, his people, its people now. Why do we see misery all around these, quote, people of God? So what made them so special 
that they got this special treatment. And again, where is that God for everybody else? Valid question. I need more testimonies from everybody else. Like with all these Bible stories, I need more dimensions of the story. I need more perspectives. I hate how it's just very like, like with the crucifixion, you get a bunch of different renditions of it. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing, but like you get other perspectives from it in, you know, the the gospels. However, you get the same stories from the same perspective. There's just not a lot of angles to, to it. So I wish there was more. Yeah, that particular story was one that we used a lot in church during my ministry time to explain, you know, when you're going through the fire, how God will be with you and it'll be miraculous and God stands with those who stand with God. And, you know, it's basically an allegiance test, right? They made the hard choice, they did the right thing and God came through for them. But yeah, I always wonder what happened to the people. And it wasn't a joke what I said earlier, the Holocaust, you know? That was some real horrific stuff going down. And I I remember reading um, Elie Wiesel, who was there at one of the concentration camps, and he was watching several of his compatriots there being hanged. And um, somebody in the crowd says, where is God? while the Germans are doing this or while the Nazis are doing this to the Jews. And another a voice comes from the crowd and says, God is in the gallows. God is there being hung. Uh, I, th- I think what the, the point of the book was, God is in us and the Nazis were killing the expressions of divinity. You know, they didn't know what they were doing basically, because they were doing a lot of what they did in the name of God. And isn't that just like us in the church? We do so much of what we do in the name of God, and we totally disregard the image of God right in front of us. It's so destructive. I think that's where we need to stop looking at the big picture. I feel like it's kind of a disservice to look at the big picture and act accordingly to like God's big picture. Because you don't have authentic connections with people and see them in true divine light as they are on a one-on-one level. So if we could just take a step back and stop looking at the big picture and just see the person standing right in front of you. Wherever we are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That'd be helpful. Kyle sees everybody for who they are. Yeah, that's why we love Kyle. That's why everybody loves Kyle. That's why he gets fan mail. Oh, boy. Yeah. Why can't we get fan mail? <laughs> oh, now you're going to get some, Lola. Now that you said just, that, somebody's going to be like, go. I'll be the one who writes a letter to Lola. I would love that so much. I love letters. She <laughs> does. She's a letter writer. It's the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Um, On this week's episode, we've got an incredible conversation with Karen Schock. If you're not familiar with Karen Schock, you are about to be. She has written an incredible book that is just steeped in authenticity. And I love the authentic way that she puts her story out there. And it's so cool because this book, and you're going to hear a lot more about it in the conversation, but this book helped me find a happy ending in my own very broken story. The best stories are like that. When we can find a happy ending 
in a broken story. And that's what this book does. So I am excited for y'all to hear from Karen Schock. Welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Karen Schock, it's so great to finally meet you. It is so good to be here. I'm so excited to finally meet you. Your book is incredible and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, Before, I want to unpack your story a little bit. Were you raised in an atmosphere of faith? Yes. My parents were Methodist, so I was raised in the Methodist church. I would say my parents had a very simple faith, very involved in the church, but very simple. And my brother, my older brothers, I have three older brothers and a sister, and they all got involved in like Youth for Christ and then in the Navigators, which are two para church organizations. So they got very involved in that. And then that's what turned our family into this evangelical, we were on an evangelical crusade. You know, not again, not my parents, they were older and not them as much. They would go to all the events, but it was my older brothers and my sister who were, who got me very involved in the whole evangelical system. And then I just went deeper and deeper as I got older till I couldn't swim anymore. So there comes a point in many people's lives that I talk to on this show where the questions just become too many and too great and they can't be ignored any longer. Did that happen to you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I always wanted to know God um, so much. And I would be like on my knees in the bathroom. Had We had four children and I'm begging God to know him. I'm singing at church. I'm singing the song, Hosanna, you know, in the highest and just praying like, heal my heart, God, and make it clean and all of these things. And I really think he answered. And he did not answer in the way that I thought he was going to answer. Ooh, I want to unpack that for a second. How did you think, what answer were you asking for? Well, I wanted to be a part of this generation. I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. You know, we're on our knees, God. And Kevin and I, my husband, we were older at the time, you know, in our late 30s and had a college ministry. Um going hard after God. And I thought we were going to just rise up this generation that was going to go to the 1040 window and tell all the nations about Jesus and get our heads chopped off for God. You know, that's what I thought was going to happen. What I see now, fast forward 20 years or however long it's been, what I see now is just that I believe that he's rising up a generation that is that has a different kind of faith that a more christ-like faith and i think they need to have a lot of they need to have a lot of faith to be able to stand against the generation that the generations that have gone ahead of them and so i feel like yes there is this generation rising up but it's a whole it's a, a whole different ball game if that makes oh, sense absolutely it makes sense um i heard a quote years ago that sometimes the greatest the greatest obstacles to the next move of God will be the leaders of the previous move of God. And when I think about how we prayed for revival for decades, and then this 
I don't know what you want to call it, this uh, sifting, this deconstruction, this whatever happened, this moment has taken place. And I just can't help but feel this is exactly what we were praying for, but we had no idea what it needed to look like. Exactly. Or how much it was going to hurt. And um, yeah, yeah, because the pain has been real, the deconstruction. And when people would say, oh, you're deconstructing or all of that, I'd be like, I'm not like it's happening to me. This is something that I would not have chosen at the time when the Bible, you know, this thing that I'd held so dear when I started to look at it and go, what happened was we started to really dive deep and I started to uh, study systematic theology and the churches that we were involved in. We went from pretty... um uh, progress, maybe progressive churches to then into this reformed John Piper, John MacArthur. Um, oh man, we were in deep and list reading all of their books. Um, Mark Driscoll, we went to churches that he was involved in the Acts 29 church. And we just kept getting deeper and deeper. And the deeper I went, the more I was like, how is this God? Like how, how you're telling me. And then I would start to ask those questions first in my head. Like, okay, wait, so a million years and then another million years and he chooses, we don't have any choice in it. And babies, you know, go to hell, like all of these things. And I'm laying in bed at night thinking these thoughts and looking out the window and going, I don't even know if you, if there is a God, like, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. And then we, Rob Bell's book came out. Love are, we wins. Ta- are we talking about love wins? Yeah. Yes, love that wins. That was pivotal and, for me as well. Okay, I had turned off all of Rob Bell be- even before that because John Piper had said at a conference farewell. Yes, that happened with this one. But before he said farewell, probably the week before John Piper said that, I watched the video of Rob just the advertisement for his book, which reminds me, I don't have an advertisement for my book, Jason. You need to work on that. I need to make an advert. I don't have much time. <laughs> You're right, um, running out of time. I need some. I need somehow to have an advertisement so people can say farewell to me before <laughs> they even Karen. need it, right? <laughs> So I watched that video and he was like, so you're telling me God or Gandhi is in hell? Really? You know, and he's saying all these things. And I'm like, yes, yes, those are my thoughts. Those are my thoughts. And I remember walking out, out of the kitchen where I was watching that and into the other room. And my adult daughter at the time was home. And I told her that. And she was like, oh, mom, you're scaring me. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm scaring scaring myself, you know, Um, but at the same time, Rob was, it was so good of God to even have that there. And people would say, oh, Rob Bell influenced you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Rob Bell did not influence me. Rob Bell just said what I was already thinking and gave me a voice. Um, And then it just went, you know, it just started to spiral from there. So do you remember what was like the last straw to break for you? What was the last domino to fall when you just said, all right, I'm in this, I'm going wherever it leads? Yeah, so that happened in probably 2010. And we were still very involved in church when the Rob Bell thing came out. And I was trying, <laughs> trying to hold on and keep my mouth shut. And then I think it was 2011. I'm pretty sure we had a, this is a sad story. 
and I hate to even tell it, but it it's pivotal in my faith journey. We had a child in our church that got hit by a car and was killed. And I couldn't be there. I was out of town and I couldn't, I, I was out of town at the time and I was sitting there crying when I found out my husband had called me and told me, I'm, you know, crying my eyes out. And I had ended up saying to one of the elders, not of this church, but of another church, I said something to the effect of, at least we know that he's with Jesus. You know, he was three years old, by the way. And this elder of a reformed church, Calvinistic church, said back to me, very matter of fact, you can't know that. We don't, we don't know that he's in heaven. We don't know if he was chosen or not. And that breaks my heart even to say it out loud right now. But, and then he said, you know, I mean, you can assume that because his parents were believers that he is chosen, he's part of the covenant. And I'm just like, what in the world? Right there, that was the straw, I think, that broke the camel's back right there. I was just like, uh, okay. And with that, I'm out, you know, like. Was disconnecting from the Reformed Church difficult for you? Yes. Yeah, I mean, because you, you're so certain of things. You have, I mean, even though you have the questions in the background, you still have all the answers. Like for all the college students and all the people, you know, well, let me give you this verse. Let me tell you about Romans 9. Let me tell you about, you know, you have the answers, you have the apologetics and to lose all of that and to lose friends and eventually family. That's really hard. Did you go from the Reformed Church to like a more progressive church or did you just pull out completely? We kind of at that point, the other thing that that shaped my faith too, I, I need to say this, was that my father passed away. So my mom and dad moved in with us in, in 2010. So right around the time, okay? And here they come in living with us with their Methodist background, just sweethearts. You know, my mom knew all the hymns. And dad lived for two years. He passed away in 2013. And it was when he passed away that I think I really started, because there were so many years in there that I questioned their faith because they didn't teach us about the 1040 window. And they didn't spank us when we were kids. And they didn't do Bible studies or pray with us at night before they went to bed. You know, all of these things made me think, well, maybe they're not saved. And again, that breaks my heart to even say it out loud. But when he, after he passed away, I knew where he was. And I realized what a gem I had of a dad. He was 85 when he passed away. And I knew at that moment, as I reflected on his life, how much he was more God-like to me than he was a father. And he enjoyed me. And, he, and I couldn't do, couldn't do anything that was going to change that. And I was just like, yeah, he's not burning in hell. So, I so forgot if, God, if God is anything like your dad, we're all okay. We're so good. Oh my goodness. We're so good. I love and we that. should kind of, I mean, I feel like that kind of is in the Bible that God is love and all of those things. So it's all the stuff that we add to it that gets us in trouble, I think. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, you, you're an incredible writer. The world's going to know it within a couple of days of this episode being released. I think I read somewhere that you fell in love with writing, um, that it kind of started for you with a diary. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah. So I still have them. Um, the diaries I got when I was like in the third, fourth, fifth grade, um, with a little lock and a little key on them. And I would just write to my heart's content. I was absolutely boy crazy from the time I was, I don't know, as long as I can remember. And I would write about boys in my diary. Most of my diaries are filled with boy issues, (laughs) boy troubles. Um, and I was very dramatic about that. I would write, oh, I saw him in the hallway today and he was wearing the best shirt and he was so cute. And he said hi to me and I nearly died. You know, I wrote like Anne of Green Gables or something. I don't know. And I, I love to go back and look at that stuff. But as I got older and started to really struggle with anxiety and depression, um, which I talk a ton about in the book. Um, and, and I do think my faith journey had a lot to do with that too. Like the fear of God became anxiety in my soul. Like it's crazy how it all works itself out, but I would journal. I journaled all the time. I have boxes and boxes of journals um, of me again, crying out to God and that's where I found my peace and my rest was just in writing. And, and most of my journals are filled with all the troubled times too, because a lot of times when I'm doing well, I don't write. So then I started writing, I think it was probably I, in 2016 was when I really started to write um, on Facebook. I would just write these posts and I had my first, the one and only time in my life that I felt like I could actually take my own life. Um, My medications for my depression and anxiety. And again, I do write about this in the book, but those medications were, they upped them because of my, my anxiety was pretty bad because of the political situation that was going on at the time who we were talking about electing. And I just, I couldn't figure, (laughs) I couldn't figure any of it out. What is going on? Um, But I ended up upping my dose of Prozac and that the doctor did and that sent me for a loop. And I found myself in bed one morning um, feeling like I could take my own life and not even knowing how and not, but that thought came and I knew enough that this isn't good. Um, So I called my niece, who is my best friend. She's um, close to my age and she's my best friend and she came over to help me out. and got me out of bed, called her counselor and made me an an appointment and called the doctor and got my meds situated. What was the question, Jason? What was the question? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, It started off being about you writing writing in the diary. Now, I know that there's some safety that comes with knowing that this gushing of your heart into this book is under lock and key. Exactly. Right? But now with this future bestseller you're about to release, the world is about to read the deepest thoughts of your heart. And to say this stuff is authentic is an understatement. So how challenging is that for you? As somebody who struggles with major anxiety, I'm a Lexapro man myself. Okay, okay. I got you. I see you. All right, thank you. Um, I know that is nerve-wracking stuff, putting yourself out there like that. What had to happen for you to be able to do that? Well, at the time, I think also in 2016, when social media was really ramping up 
you could see when you would look at other people's and including my own, everybody's life looks so good. You know, here you are in Mexico and here you are in Dustin, Florida, you know, like, and here you are with your, not a double chin, you know, like all the things. And I think I just was like, I'm miserable inside right now. And you all think I'm great. And people don't like me because they think I'm I'm great or whatever, which we think every everybody thinks everybody's great, right? According to social media. And so I decided to put it out there. And I just wrote, probably it was a couple weeks after that incident happened, I wrote about it. And I had no idea that it would go like, like out there on Facebook. I just wrote a Facebook post and in kind of the way I write and just these short sentences. And I had so many, so many private messages of people saying, I struggle with this too. Thank you for saying this. You have no idea how much this means. I also had people that said, there's no way. I don't believe that about you. Who knew me? Pretty, I mean, you know, who knew me out in public? They'd be like, you're too happy. What, what? Like I... I didn't know. And then I had people who really didn't know me in person who would be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Your life must be, you know, miserable or, and people who don't understand anxiety and depression just write to me and just feel really sorry for me. So those were the hard ones. You know, those were the hard comments. It's like, you don't have to feel sorry for me. I'm okay. I mean, we're all okay. Uh, But I think I realized at that point, you know, There's a need for this. And I would rather have people actually know me and know who I am and love me for that person than love me for this person they think I am when I, you know, put my best self out there all the time. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. I remember complaining to God one time that I didn't feel like anybody loved me for me. And the the voice that came back in my head was, well, how could they? Nobody's ever met the real you. You keep it so closely under wraps. You know, so many of us have been so traumatized by versions of evangelicalism that we're just terrified. I mean, if the God who created us is waiting to lower the boom on us, what hope does humanity have? Exactly. And so we're all kind of unpacking that and getting better. Um, I know that there's people listening to this episode who can identify with that day that you struggled to get out of bed and thought about ending your life. What advice would you give to somebody in that situation right now? Oh, that's, that's awesome. Thank you for asking that. Thank you. Uh, here's, here's the deal. Number one, and one thing that I had learned before that happened, so I knew this because I had learned a lot about my anxiety and depression, but was one is, again, those feelings that you have, that was a snapshot. I had learned that so many, that people had that had tried to take their own life in different times of their lives and didn't succeed, they were actually thankful that they hadn't succeeded because they the darkness that was on them, that cloud that was covering them at that moment, maybe wasn't covering them any longer. You know, so this is a, this is a, period of time and the dark clouds come and the dark clouds go. So maybe wait until, you know, to, to reassess your life or to do something that dramatic. And I, I get it. Like, I understand that the other thing, the other thing that I've learned is 
and I believe this, especially going through it, and I believe it with all my heart, is that people could say, oh, well, that would be selfish. Karen, that's so selfish. You have four children and a husband. And, you know, when you're in that, when you're in that point, when you're at that point and you're struggling with anxiety and you've got these things say, talking in your head and you, I just thought I'm no good to anybody at that particular time. My thoughts were they would be better off without me. It's actually not selfish for me to take my own life at this point, because I bring everybody down with my depression, with my questions, with my, you know, all the things like they'd be just, they'd have a lot more fun if I wasn't around bringing everybody down all the time. So it, it doesn't, I don't think of anyone who has tried or actually, you know, it has happened. I don't think of them as selfish, if that makes sense. So yeah. It does. Absolutely. And friends listening, neither Karen or I are a doctor, and I would encourage you to speak to one and please uh, get help. If you're, if you're really feeling that bad, talk to somebody. Yes. And uh, make an appointment for a therapist. It may be medication. It may be counseling. Uh, but more important than anything, talk to someone and tell them exactly how you're feeling. Just see, feeling seen in that moment may be enough to help you hang on, and we want you to hang on. Exactly. And my, me making that phone call just to say, Hey, I'm, I I don't, I'm not doing well. That's all I had to say. And, and she was right there, you know, and my niece and she fed me, she actually gave me food. She got me out of bed, made a phone call to a therapist and fed me (laughs) and I I needed food. It turns out food helps too. So (laughs) that's awesome. But it is, you're right. It is serious. And one question that I wanted to ask you, I've never asked this of anybody else, but when I was reading your book, I started thinking of these really strange questions. Uh, The first question, if you could go back 25 or 30 years and give yourself a piece of advice, what would you say? That's cool that you asked that because the next book that I'm going to write is all that I have to put together is all the posts about my parents and their faith. But then the book after that, book three, if this all goes well, um, I I am going to open up those boxes of journals and I'm going to go and I'm going to take each, you know, I'm going to find different pages of journals from when I, from 25 years ago. And then I'm going to write, present day Karen is going to write back to 25 year old Karen. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So I'm excited to give her a hug and tell her she's going to be okay. And um, man, if I could go back to nine-year-old Karen who sat and watched a horror flick, um, Christian horror flick on the rapture and tell her that that's not even true. That's not going to happen. And it's not true. Wow. That would make a huge difference in little Karen's life. If I would could go back to Karen, who's newly pregnant and not married and living in the shame of that in the Christian world, I would go back and just tell her, dang it, she's loved. <laughs> um, if I could go back and talk to young mom, Karen, who's in church and learning how to parent her children, I would go back and tell her to throw away the spoons. You don't need to do that. That's, you know, that's not necessary. Go with your gut go with your heart on that and not just with the, what the books say. So by the way, thank you for writing Parenting Deconstructed. Thank you for putting that together and giving parents hope that they don't have to do that kind of thing. 
And I have said many, many, I've apologized to my children many times now in the last several years for a lot of things that we did. One of the things was we told them they were totally depraved all the time. You know, you you want candy? Like, oh, oh, really? I was a good mom too, by the way, Jason. I was a good mom. I'm sure you were. Yeah, of course. Um, So much, but I would tell them because this is what we learned. Like, you don't deserve candy. You deserve hell. Like, you know that, right? That's what you deserve. So I'd go back and tell her to shut up about that. I'd go back and tell her she's not too much and that she is enough. Yeah, there's a whole lot of things I want to say to Karen. (laughs) Let's unpack that title of your book, right? Too Much and Not Enough. Where does that title come from for you? Yeah, just the feeling of being, always feeling like I've been a misfit. Always feeling like I was, I talked too much in the church, you know, especially when I started to have questions. Could you be quiet? Like, don't ask those questions out loud. You might, you're scaring the children. So... And also, you know, wanting to be, wanting to talk up in front of the church, wanting, you know, and saying to Kevin, like, my husband, I don't understand why I can't get up in front of the church and speak. I don't, you know, or why I couldn't go to school for that, you know, but the churches that we were involved in, there was no way. So feeling too much that way and then not enough. I had learned Proverbs 31 woman, you know, and... I, I'm coming into this with ADHD, anxiety, depression, you know, um, raising four children, homeschooling them because that's what you do. And I'm so glad I did because I love them and I want, I wanted to spend time with them, but never feeling like I was enough in that, in, in that regard, ever feeling like I was enough, never doing enough, never rising before dawn to serve everyone. Where would you say that you settled? in your spiritual journey today. Where do you find yourself as far as a relationship with God or the divine or the universe? How do you, you don't have to label it, but just what's it feel like to you? It feels real simple. It feels way not so complicated and way more free. I can't tell you the freedom and the joy and you know, Kevin, Kevin and I have been on this journey together, which is cool. Every step of the way it's been, I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful, but just learning to be more of a partnership in our marriage. Um, oh, that that's, that's done wonders. We spent so many years, like when I'd have my anxiety, the one time we had a pastor that was counseling us that was telling Kevin, you know, you need to get your wife it's, this is your fault. If you would lead better, she wouldn't have this anxiety. And so then guess what I'm doing? I'm going home from that meeting with the, pa- with the pastor and saying, you got to lead me, you got to lead me, lead me, lead me, lead me. You know, and so I'm now leading him to lead, to you. To lead me. Like nothing made sense. It was always, are you going to go to the men's thing? Are you going to do this? You're going to do that. You got to lead me. You got to, you know, poor Kevin. Like I just talk about a dripping, nagging wife. But that's what I needed to submit and he needed to lead and it wasn't working. It didn't work so well. But when we decided that when I took all that pressure off of him, not that our marriage wasn't good because it's always been good. We've always been good friends. But man, when I took that pressure off of him and off of me 
And now he does the laundry and he's really good at it. He had me do a load in between Mexico and Destin. I did one load, had a white sweater, put it with a red sweatshirt, an Ohio State sweatshirt, and have now I have a pink sweater. <laughs> like, no. This is why I don't do laundry. And my children now, they learned how to do laundry when they were real young because I did that to their stuff too. So anyway... Yeah, just becoming partners and, and like, let's do what we're good at, you know? And so here I now get to write a book and be on podcast and and he gets to support me and love me and not feel like he has to be over top of me on anything. We're just partners. Yeah, the toxic masculinity of the church really is way too much pressure. I don't know how anybody lives under that. It, it's just incredibly difficult. And I'm so glad that you both found your way through it. I was going to ask you about that. So many marriages are taxed because typically two people don't evolve spiritually at the same pace. Did, did that happen for you side by side? In the beginning, I'm the one who told him he needed to accept Jesus in, into his heart and all that kind of stuff. He he grew up Catholic, and so he didn't understand any of it. Reading the Bible, whatever. Like, so there was, I put so much pressure on that kid, you know, so I would run and drag him along and run and drag, but he he handled it well and loved me through it. And um, of course, we were dripping with four small children at the time, you know, but in the end, and then he he grabbed, he gravitated toward the reform theology real quick where I had more questions. He was, he's not a questioner. So he would just be like, well, he doesn't think about it. And I'd say, no, 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 you got to think about it. Like, I want you to think a million years and then another million years. And then he's like, he, he's not going to think about it. You know, like he was like, whatever, if that's how God is, you know? Um, So when I started to ask the questions, and then like walked, started to walk away. When he started to listen to Rob Bell with me, it was like, oh yeah, I, I, I could see this. And he hasn't had any issues with like not going to church on Sunday mornings. And we do have a church here in Fort Wayne that we love. The people We love the people there. It's one of our best friends who's a pastor there and he's, he loves Brian Zond. He's pretty, uh, pretty, yeah, pretty progressive. But we've had to get to the point where, I mean, and I think also, this happened before COVID, but we had to get to the point where I could say, I'm going to stay home this Sunday. We're going to sit in the Florida room and have coffee. And I, I'm not going to worry about it. Cause I'd sit there and be like, we should be in church. We should be in church. You know, our kids are grown. We should be in church. And Kevin would be like, why? For God? And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not about God. It's about what the people are going to think when we're not in church, you know? But at the same time, the church building, the actual physical building looked like, still does look like the church building that was in that rapture movie. And mm, the one that traumatized you as a child. Yeah. Yeah. So as I'm starting now to see that counselor in 2017, 2018, and starting to go through all this stuff, I'm like, I don't like to sit in the church because I'm, you know, and she's like, well, then don't go take a break. And that was hard for me. And then 2020 came along and everybody got to sit at home. We all got an excuse to stop going to church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it just became one of those things where now, and as grandparents, like I see it now. I used to not get it with my parents. Like, why? Why don't they go to, you know, how could they not go to church every Sunday? But I get it now. My daughter and her husband and their four children, and he's an elder in their church. 
So they have to be at church every Sunday and they have a small group that they're very dedicated to on Thursday nights and they have dance competitions and dance. They never get to come here. If we want to see them, we've got to go there, which is about a two and a half hour drive away. I'm so glad that we're not completely caught up in our church that I'm, I'm so glad I'm not doing the nursery every Sunday and can't get away to go down and be with them because other, we would never see them if we were, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I get it now. When you get older, you kind of just, it's nice to it have is. some coffee in the Florida room. Absolutely. All right. What do you want people to take away from your book? What do you hope the reader understands after reading it? That they're not alone. Like no matter what, if it's, if it's anxiety, if it's depression, if you've gone through the loss of a parent, if you are a young parent who's dealing with small children and don't sleep at night, or if you're asking questions about hell or you're having issues with, (laughs) with the authority of the church coming at you for different reasons, you're not alone and you're not, you're not crazy. Like, we're all in this together and that there's a God that actually is love. And that when the Bible talks about, when Paul says, I'm going to pray for you, that the Holy Spirit would empower you. I used to think that that Holy Spirit empowering me was this power of, I'll get my head chopped off for him. I'll say the hard things to my neighbor. I'll tell them they're going to go to hell if they don't. I used to think that was the spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when you read that verse, though, Paul says that he that you would know that the power of the Holy Spirit would come on you. You would know how deep and how high and how wide is the love of Jesus, because that's what we can't understand. That's what his ways are not. We don't understand it. And if we do understand it, man, it frees us up to love people. But if we're walking around trying to gain his love and trying to gain the Holy Spirit in a different kind of way, that's what I want them to know. <laughs> I remember while reading the book, it felt like I was in the presence of freedom. And so I wanted to ask you, I think everybody who reads this is going to want to live more authentically. I think they're going to experience the freedom in your spirit. What stops us from living authentically and what advice do you have for people who want to? First of all, be honest with yourself. Maybe start to write in a journal. you know, maybe get a lock and key for it, but write it out. Like, first of all, be honest with yourself and then find other people that are authentic. If in this world, it's easy to be so involved actually in a church where people aren't authentic and you're just going and you're doing the thing and you're, you know, you might say your little sins, but you're not going. However that looks, if you can just Find some people who are authentic, even if it's online. I'll tell you what, getting into square one with Keith Giles and getting into that group, I found there was so much freedom there. And that's where I said, I don't have a voice anymore. I can't talk anymore in church. I can't talk anywhere. Like if I, and Keith said, no, we're going to get your voice back. And he didn't even know me at the time, but he said, he said, I think you're going to get your voice back. And here we are. I'm talking to you, Jason. (laughs) And you just written a book that's going to be a huge bestseller. So you've got your voice back. I'm so grateful. So um, anything you want to leave folks with? I, I heard you mention earlier before we started recording that you have a podcast that you're working on. 
What's the name of it? And when can we listen to it? Okay, so the name of the book is Too Much and Not Enough, Sacred Thoughts Said Out Loud. And so then the podcast, the name of the podcast is just the Sacred Thoughts Podcast. And it will be on YouTube and it will be on podcast on anywhere you can get your podcast, I guess. I have a friend who, another friend who reached out to me that I worked with at, at the local high school. And he said, hey, I see what you're writing and I think you, you need to be, you need to have a podcast. He said, I, and you have a book coming out. Like, so he sent, I came down to a studio and we're working on a podcast. I don't know what the hell. Heck. <laughs> you can say whatever you want to. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm doing, <laughs> but, but I'm doing it and I'm here for it. I'm here for this ride. So I'm so happy. Yes. Yeah. I, when is this going to be out? Jason, when are we putting this little one out? I think this one will come out the day before your book releases. And so friends, April the 18th, Too Much and Not Enough by Karen Shock. You do not want to miss this book. There will be a link in the show notes of this episode to help you find it quickly. And when she launches that podcast, we'll include links to that as well. Thank you to the folks at Choir for publishing this book. Uh, So many great books that have come out already this year and so many more yet to come. Thank you so much, Karen, for joining me and for sharing so much of yourself in this book and in this conversation. Thanks for having me. All right, we're back. And so, you know, Karen and I were talking about uh, the authenticity uh, that she writes with. It's definitely in her book. But you and I, we, we all know that we just enjoy being around authentic people. You love being around people when you know that who they really are is what you get. Do y'all have like some really, truly authentic people in your lives that you just love to be around? Absolutely. I, I love authentic people. And what I mean... We've got to name names now, oh. don't we? Well, yeah, sure what I mean by to, that is, be great. is... Yeah, I love authentic people. And just people who are just so... It's easy for them to be themselves. I love that. I love people like that. I admire people like that. Kyle, I really, I think of you and, and Lola, you as well, as some of the most authentic people I know. You um, are very unfiltered, but in the best ways possible. And um, I, Kyle, I just, I don't know. There's just something about even your social media, even your your videos that I've seen on Instagram, because I'm not, you know, young enough for TikTok. Um, <laughs> but I have seen them on Instagram and, and videos that you've put out on Facebook and stuff. There's just so many, you're just like dripping with authenticity. Have you always been that way? Or is that something that you had to evolve to? Yes and no. There's a, there's a, there's a, a genuineness that comes out in those moments that is pure Kyle. That's just Kyle. That's Kyle being the optimistic, positive, inspiring, hopefully uh, motivating, encouraging person. That's me. And, and that's easy for me. That's just, I want to call it natural. It's just so natural for me to be that. But there was this other Kyle who, you know, was, was framed in this religious world who was told he, he was this and was told that he was, you know, this, this person and, and he needed to be this way and do this way and act this way. And it, I created a, an entirely different personality for that person who was fake and phony and un, not authentic. 
and he wasn't real. He wasn't expressive. And that really sucked, you know, and, and that was really my challenge for so long is because I was afraid to be me because I, I had this other persona that I was told I was, and this is the persona that was going to be accepted. So I tried to live in that more than I lived in my authentic self. And then when I got out of the religious circle, you know, it, I, I found me again, my authentic self. And I'm just really now even more so learning to be myself. N- not with a, a, a fucking attitude about other people, but more so of a, I don't, I'm not here to do, I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to mess up anyone's life. I just want to live my life. And I want to do that to its fullest. I want to do it with fun and excitement and enthusiasm. And yeah, everyone may not like it. Everyone may not agree. But to that extent, I don't care. I just want to be me. So I'm learning to do that more and more and more. Mm, That's so good. Lola, how about you? Has authenticity always come natural to you? For me? No. I mean, I don't think I've even known how to be myself and be comfortable in my own, you know, whether it be convictions, how I feel about myself, how I perceive the world, I felt uncomfortable expressing that and holding that to be true for myself up until the last two years. Uh, I mean, I lied to myself about my sexuality for a long time. And I called that authenticity back then because if authenticity was, it was a rule, not the exception. So it, it was just, Pretend to be authentic and call it authentic. Pretend very, extremely pretend that this is the way that things are and be honest about your lie. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I I know that situation (laughs) very well because being... Uh, addicted to people pleasing and being in the ministry, you learn mm-hmm. to put forth a version of you that is most acceptable. Yes. And, but you know that it's, it's such a double-edged sword because while you may get the applause and you may get the welcome into the circles, the whole time you're there, you know that you don't really belong there because if the people knew who you really were, they would not embrace you the way that you have gotten them to embrace you by putting forth a certain version of yourself. And, and what's more, I, I even never really felt at home because there was always this little voice in the back of my head that said, you know, if they really knew, mm. if they really knew who you were, they wouldn't be saying these nice things about you. They wouldn't be doing these things. They wouldn't welcome you in. And um, I, I remember you know, I had conversations with the voice in my head, which I have called God most of my life. And the mm-hmm. conversation back then would go something like, why doesn't anybody really love me for me? And one day, as I was starting to evolve spiritually, that voice in my head said back to me, how could they? Nobody's ever seen the real you. Damn. You don't let them. You protect that too much. And so living authentically is terrifying <laughs> to somebody who struggles with people pleasing. Um, yeah. But I will absolutely say that it is so, so, so worth it to step out of the shadows and just own yourself. Just be who you are. And the cool thing is, 
When you do that, there will be people who are drawn to the sound of your authentic voice that you didn't even know were there. You will find your people just by speaking your honest thoughts, just by being your true self. And something just happens and we find each other, don't we? I mean, all of us did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's this whole circle. Uh, I think it started on Facebook, which is horrifying to think about because there's so much <laughs> crap on Facebook. But, but there's this whole, you know, deconstructed movement that has happened through social media where people are finding one another. And finding the acceptance that we've all needed our entire lives and, and finding it. But what's so cool though, for somebody like Kyle is the acceptance that you needed, Kyle, you didn't find first and foremost from other people. You learn to accept yourself and, and that changes everything. Yep. Absolutely. I wanted to say something about that. Sometimes it takes re, like, not, relearning yourself and meeting yourself again. So like not really knowing who you are anymore gives you the opportunity to, hi, nice to meet you. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you like? Yep. What, what are you interested in? What is, what is the thing that brings you the most joy? Which path looks the best to you? And, and normally that's when your intuition starts to kick in and, and all those other things that, that make you powerful and, you know, beautiful and, and everything good that you are and what you were supposed to be. So. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's like when, when we finally get the courage to step out of the shadows, maybe for the first time we start thinking about those questions. What is it that I like? What is it that mm-hmm. I want to do? What, what would I like to create? You know, things that you've never dared to ask yourself before because it wasn't, you know, accepted in whatever circles or you, or you were afraid to put yourself out there because you were afraid you might fail. Well, guess what? <laughs> Failure is not the worst thing that could happen to you. Never being you is the worst thing that could happen to you. So, so come on out of the shadows, come into the light, be who you are. If you don't know who that is, that's cool. Let's figure this out together. None of us really know who we are uh, no. until we're deeper into this evolution. Now, I think Kyle might know who he is, but the rest of us, we're all still figuring it out. <laughs> Kyle, you have any tips for those of us who are trying to follow in your humble footsteps? Yes, actually. <clears throat> okay, listen to it very carefully. I need you to get to your wallet. Pull out your best scene possible. Joel Osteen? What's happening? What's happening? No, but seriously, I had a thought the other day, and it hit me really strong. You know, if you grew up in a a religious environment, even if you don't grow up in a religious environment, this this thought permeates through society, I think, very strongly, and that is you're going to be judged based upon your life. You're going to have to give an account based upon your life. Well, if that room is true, then I want to tell you and everyone listening, why not live the life you want to live? Do it your way. If you're going to be judged anyway, then at least let it be judged upon this is your life and you lived it the way you wanted to live it. You express yourself the way you wanted to express yourself instead of trying to live up to some 
created life. You think some God or some deity created for you to live. No, live your life. And you can stand. If that day's going to come, whatever, you can stand there proudly and say, hey, I did the best I could. I just wanted to live my life. I did what I felt instinctively to be true about me. And I enjoyed my life. So if there's a judgment for me living authentically me and enjoying my life, then so be it. So that's how I see it now. Just live your life and do it for you. Be authentically you. you you're going to lose nothing in, in terms of your life. You're going to gain life. You're going to see life as a joy and as a pleasure so much more than you probably do right now. Because inside of you is the instinctive knowing of who you really are, what you really want to be. And I encourage you to do that and do it with everything inside of you. Wow. Awesome. Such good advice. Lola, what are your thoughts on that? Honestly, I did a lot of shadow work in order to kind of figure out who I am, who I want to be, and the the things that were just deep-seated inside of me. And um, if you're interested in shadow work, literally just Google shadow work prompt and a lot of good content should come up. That helped me kind of get to know myself for the first time and let myself be free. So like when you're not in the confines of the fear of hell and that kind of thing... Sorry, it was put to me when I was a kid. If you're going to live a sinful life, which just means like self-indulging in this context and like a little bit selfish, a little bit about you, you know, and your interests and your joys. If you're going to live that kind of lifestyle, you better really live it up because, you know, when it's over, it's over. And I find that to be true, but not in a fearful way anymore, where it's like, when it's over, you're going to burn for it. It's like, no, when it's over, you know, we'll see what the next life may have, or, you know, maybe I'll just go back to dirt. Who knows? So, you know, just live it fully while you're here. YOLO, just kidding. No one quote me on that. (laughs) No one quote me on that. But I mean, there's, there's nothing truer just... If you're going to live that way, you better really live it while you're here, you know? And that doesn't always, like, not in the context of, like, if you're going to really mess up, go do something bad. Don't do that. But if you want to invest in in self-discovery and self-love and and pursue joy and happiness and all the things that you deserve, really just dive into it. Treat it like an experiment. If it feels weird at the end of the day, go a different way, you know? Yeah, I think we have to try a whole bunch of things to figure out what's not for us, right? I mean, that's that's definitely been <laughs> my my whole life is figuring yeah. out what didn't work for me, and and but those are all clues about who we really are. Wrestling worked for you. Yeah, that's right. Yes, it did. I enjoyed that part of your life. Did it was you? a good season of your life. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. my knee, my <laughs> knees today don't think so. I appreciate that. My son wishes I could come out of retirement and do it all over again. Oh my goodness. No, thank you. Me too. I'm I'm on the same team, boy. Brandy would absolutely... If I got spandex out one more time, Brandy would absolutely (laughs) leave me. (sighs) She would be horrified. It would be terrible. So no, 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 there will be be no wrestling in my future, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I was the shy little kid who could not 
couldn't have a conversation with my own relatives. I couldn't look people in the eye and have a conversation. I was Mm -hmm. terrified of people. But wrestling is what the universe used to teach me how to get comfortable talking in front of people. So uh, it, it definitely changed my life. I think that's where you gained a lot of confidence, probably. Yeah, you maybe know, so. And your your own abilities and your own skills and, and your voice. Yep, I think so. Just beginning, but... Well, friends listening, we want to hear from you. What is it that has helped you live a more authentic life? You can leave comments here at the MessySpirituality.org blog on Patheos, or you can connect with us on the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You can drop us an email, however you want to reach out. We would love to hear your story. What helps you live authentically? What does that mean to you? And what have been some of the obstacles in your life to living an authentic life? Man, I can't wait for these conversations. I hope you'll join us. Uh, It's been another great conversation. Lola and Kyle, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Love you. 